well, friends. Please take a seat. But lean forward in your heart because we have an amazing, amazing, amazing night planned for you. You know, we have so much gold in our midst. And one of Pastor Hartley and my absolute favourite things to do is to make way for new voices, rising voices in our midst. And tonight, under this relationships banner that we're at, this theme that we're in right now, we're going to hear from three great, sharp vocal weapons. These guys are great ministers. They're great revelators. Pastor Hartley and I have a lot of respect for these ones that are going to speak tonight. And we're going to kick it off with Mr. Chris Abbott. That's right, a lot of love for the brother. Following by Mads, who's going to come up. She's going to be magnificent. And then Brad Sabbath is going to land here tonight. So, yes, let's show them the love tonight. These three are really excellent ministers of the gospel. You're going to love hearing from them. So please lean forward, give them lots of love, respond, and just open your hearts. I believe they're going to bring something really fresh. They're all going to speak out of their own life experience under this broad relationships banner tonight. It's going to be magnificent. So please, friends, give a huge welcome to Chris as he comes tonight. Love it. Love it. Father, I just thank you for open hearts tonight. God, I thank you that we come here to receive from you. I thank you, God, that we, we've got good soil in our hearts tonight, that the seeds that are sown are going uh, to produce revelation in our lives, and that's going to shine your love to our community. Amen. Hey, so many people. This is awesome. So I'm going to speak to you tonight about community, relating to our community. And I'm going to ask a question, and that's what is the topic of my, what I'm going to preach. It's, uh, can you see the Samaritan woman? Can you see the Samaritan woman? So if you haven't guessed, we might turn to a scripture in John 4, which is talking about Jesus seeing the Samaritan woman. So John chapter 4. Now... We're going to read from verse 27, but I'll give you a little bit of background. So Jesus is going from uh, a little bit of ministry he's done in Judea. He's heading to Galilee. He has to cross through a suburb called Samaria, and it's full of people who are like um, not really inclined, uh, the the Jews are not really inclined to relate to them. They would, uh, if you're a real Jew, you would actually walk around Samaria rather than go through it. So the, the, the unseen the tradition that you should uh, do, the custom of the day, was that if a woman would approach you from, a Samaritan woman would approach you as a Jew, you would pretend they do not exist. So Jesus has spent the last 20 verses of the Bible speaking with this woman, and then here come the disciples, the church of the day, they walk back on the scene, and that's where we pick up the story. At verse 27, it says, Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked. They were shocked. They couldn't believe that he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and she left. Why would Jesus spend 20 verses of the Bible speaking to this woman that then the church of the day would come back and be shocked about it? It seems a little bit interesting. So then Jesus goes on to explain to these disciples um, what the deal is. 
And one of his verses down in 35 or 36, it said, I'm telling you to open your eyes, take a good look at what's right in front of you. So as a church, I think Jesus tells us and wants us to open our eyes so that we can see the Samaritan woman that is right in front of us. So I have three questions for us. Who is the Samaritan woman of today? Why would Jesus want us to actually engage with her? And how do we do that? Open your eyes to who is right in front of you. The Samaritan woman of today. She's our neighbor. She's our work colleagues, our fellow students. She comes to our care centers. She's a family doesn't, who doesn't speak any English. She's our brother or our sister. Her home could be in the dark streets under the bridge. He's the lonely child. He could be here sitting in church and, and sort of walks in and walks out and no one ever really sees them. No one actually pays attention to them. We're so stuck to our tradition and our custom and our way of doing things that we've forgotten to see. We pretend that doesn't even exist. Or maybe we just say, hey, hey, how you doing? You good? Oh, you're good. That's good. And that's, that's the depth of our commitment to our relationship with that person. Too busy, too tired to make time to relate to her. Too uncomfortable, too awkward. So that's, that's the who she is and why. Because, see, God, God is this unlimited. His, his love and his light and who he is is unlimited. And yet he comes to, to, to represent himself through a limited humanity. And we have a, a, a proclivity to, to behave a certain way and stick to a certain tradition and to, to, to follow our custom and the thing that we like to do in, the, in our comfort zone. And here's God saying, no, my love is not defined by, by who you are. My love is, to, let it define who you are. When he says go, do we, do we limit the go by uh, our own understanding of what that is? Or do we understand that is what he says it is? When he says, I love all people, do we classify all through our own experience? Or, or do we let him determine what, our, what all actually means? Why? Why would we want to see the Samaritan woman? Because the heart of God is expanding beyond what we always thought, beyond the niceness of our Christianity, and is stepping on the toes of people who are stuck in their ways and their comfort zones. But this is good news. This is good news. This is the how. Because God knows that humanity is broken, and he knows that humanity is, is stuck in its ways, and he knows who we are. And so what he says is, you know what? You don't have to do it. I will do it through you. And so the how comes back to us saying less of me and more of you, God. The how comes back to saying, God, my heart is not big enough. I'm a human being. My heart is not, uh, not sort of conditioned to love someone else. But you know what? If I submit it to God, it, it will become conditioned to loving others and seeing others because because it's no longer I that live, but it's through Christ who lives in me. And so the four things I've done... And I'm no ex uh, expert at it, but it's things that I do that I think might help you. 
I read the Word of God, and, and don't take that lightly. I read it with a question that says, God, what is your heart? This book is soaked. It's absolutely drenched with the heart of God. And if you read it with, how can, how can I hear your heart in it? I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get the heart of God from it. I, I love, I love a, a, a passage in, um, in Psalm 12. David writes it, and he says into the hovels of the poor, into the dark streets where the homeless groan, God speaks. I've had enough. I'm on my way to heal the ache in the heart of the wretched. If that verse doesn't make you go, man, I, I want to change the way that I live so that I can walk that out, you need to seek God for a new heart. That let that define our love. Don't, we, don't let our own experience define our love. The second thing is, is proximity. See, it's hard to ignore someone when, you're, when they're in your face. It's hard to ignore someone when you're up and close. We sometimes walk around Samaria rather than walking through it. Jesus hung out at the well where she was. He didn't say, okay, let's just wait until they come into our world. So get it. Get up close and personal. Personal. Go, go to the next step bar and say, hey, I've got an afternoon free. What can I do to engage? What can I give here? You know, you know, there's people that walk into the church and then they walk out. Maybe if we actually saw someone and said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to say hi to you and be genuinely interested in your world because I care about you. The third thing is, is prayer. This is, this is something that <laughs> it's a discipline and it's a love. It's both mixed together. And as we minimize ourselves and we, we allow God to transform who we are. Let me pray for you right now. Let us pray. Father God, not our will but yours be done. The potter is you, the clay is us. So take us and break us, mold us and make us. We give you our hands and we give you our feet. Do with them as you see fit. Burden our hearts for the lost and give us a revelation of your cross. Less of us and more of you. None of us and all of you. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And open our eyes so we can see who the church so often ignores. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Taking my microphone. Good evening. Okay. All right, so today I'm really, really loud. Am I really loud? You have to, Reggie, can you fix that? Um, so I'm just going to quickly, 7.55, going to quickly talk about um, the progressive progress in the area of relationships that we either knowingly or not knowingly enter into when we come to know Jesus. Sometimes it's the thing where we go, oh, I didn't sign up for that, but we did. So... <laughs> We're going to talk about that. So I'm going to just run through some scriptures and then we'll have a bit of a chat. Okay. Amplified Version, 2 Thessalonians 
2.13. From the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctifying work of the Spirit that sets you apart for God's purpose and by your faith in the truth of God's Word that leads your spirit, leads you into spiritual maturity. Because So sanctification has two sort of meanings. One of them is a progressive progress and means growing in righteous living. This is dependent on a person's reliance on the Holy Spirit. Okay, Galatians 5.22. If we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with a personal integrity, godly character, moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. We must not become conceited, challenging or provoking one another, envying one another. So here's this thing. So we enter into this process where God wants us to progress relationally. He wants to take what's in us, mush it about, so it looks more like him, so that we have this personal integrity, this godly character, this moral courage. And the, the fruit of that is that it'll help our relationships. We will relate better. We won't be conceited, challenging, provoking, or envying one another. It'll change those things in us that cause us to be like that. Okay, so Hebrews 4.12, how, how? This is how he does it. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, being the completeness of a person, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. So he's talking, it's not just like, it's the stuff that makes us tick, you know? It's all that stuff that we live out of, that we react out of. He wants to take all of the completeness of who we are and he, 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 okay, so I have an analogy, Tim, Wayne, Chris, no judgment, this is like an exercise for you guys to not judge someone, okay, I'm giving you a platform for Jesus to teach you something, okay, so I'm using an analogy of coffee, okay, but I don't like coffee or drink it, so perhaps it's not the right one for me to be using, but it's the one I'm using anyway, okay, so we have the beans, no judgment. Okay. So what happens is we grind the beans, shove it in the little potty thing, squish it, put it in the machine, and we put the butter and the water goes through, and then we get a coffee. Now, if the bean hasn't been grinded correctly, so I say, uh, the water won't filter through properly. It won't seep through properly. And what happens is it, it affects if it's coarse or too fine. It won't go through properly, and you end up with a, a rubbish coffee. The creamer also, ugly. Yeah. Okay, so it tastes bad and it looks bad, okay? So it's all dependent on how you grind that bean, okay? Okay, so is it okay so far? Okay, I'm winning, okay. So the soul, when he says, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, he's, he's near with a noise, okay? The soul, life creates our type of grind, too fine, too coarse, that's what life does. How we think, how we respond to fear, loss, conflict, how we communicate, how we give and receive love. Life, life creates all of that in us, but the Spirit also creates a grind, and what He does is, even though we've already been, like, had our own grind created through that 
process with the thing. Uh, God takes us. Who knows that God can make all things new? So what he does is he takes us with our type of grind. Bit coarse, making yucky coffee. Tastes terrible. Looks funny. And he puts us through his grinder. And that grinder that he puts us through to have the correct grind to make a great coffee, tastes good, looks fantastic, smells fabulous, has a fern thingy. Okay. That, that grinding that he puts us through is that progressive progress, the sanctification. But the thing is it depends on us relying on the Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. And again, no judgment. Okay. So, so I'm just uh, like I, I know Jesus and I love him, but you know, like there are moments where maybe you could maybe think that I didn't, okay? So no judgment for that. So this, this story is a little bit in that, in that. okay? So at school, I, I arrive really late because I have to catch a train from work and I've got literally like two seconds. I park the car, I can hear the bell going. So I don't have a lot of time. Sometimes I might park in an interesting place. Okay, so this lady... Okay, so I, I park, I'm like, okay, Belle's about to go. I look at my rear vision, and I see this lady manifesting in her car. Like, there is there's something going on. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So I hop out of the car, and she opens her door, and she comes up to me, and she like, and I'm like, and I said, sorry, what was your name? And she's like, Sandy. And I'm like, well, Sandy, um, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I'm going to totally take on board what you said, and then I locked my car and went and got my children, and so she was, she was quite angry with me. Anyway, oh, such bad luck. Next day, same thing. I'm like, I'm so late. I'm just going to park there again, and then I look in the restaurant. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's her, and then, and then she, she's like worse than the day before, and she comes out, guns are like, this is, you're so disrespectful, and she's like, and wait, considering my child such a bad, anyway, she's just going, and I'm like, and I did the deep, quiet voice trying to calm her. I was like, Sandy, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and then I locked the car. I went and got my kids again. So, I, you know, it was, but anyway, so in my heart, I was like, I'm going to play with you. <laughs> so I was like, wouldn't it be really funny if I just, just killed her with kindness? But it wasn't that I wanted to give kindness. It was more of the killing that I was, you know, listen, I'm only human sometimes. So, so in my heart, I'm like, I could just kill her with kindness. And so I thought, I could just, when I see her, smile and just be like, hey, Sandra. It's not even her name. Or I could just, like, knock on her window. And I, had, I was planning all these things. And then I, like, I wasn't even asking for his thoughts. And God just, all these scriptures came into my, and I'm like, no one asked you. And then, and he, and he said to me, he asked me a question. He's like, do you want to live under the curse. I'm like, who's going to say yes to that? And so, um, and the curse is that doing things your own way and ending up with problems because of it in the short. Okay. So I answered, no, I don't want to live under the curse. And so my only option is now that I know exactly how God calls us to behave when our natural inclination is to behave badly, is he shows me the difference. My grind versus his grind. My coffee is dripping out poorly at this point. And so he says, so he's saying, if you want the blessing that comes with doing things my way, well, you're going to have to do things my way. But the problem is, is in that moment, there is a tension of um, where you hear the voice of God, the spirit is, it's cutting through, but your soul 
Well, it's sad to have heard from him. Just for that one moment, because you understand that you no longer can have your revenge on the woman. You must love her like Jesus told you to. So in that moment, you had, like I had to choose, but he made it very plain to me, and he was very, very strong about it. He's like, and, and the thing is, if we don't continuously choose him in those moments when we don't want to choose, what happens is all the shine comes off that's supposed to radiate light and, and impress people with a love that they don't see anywhere else. Because otherwise my love looks just the same as anyone out there that doesn't have Jesus. And he's like, that's not helping. My coffee, when you think about coffee, not that I know, is that what I've heard is that if a place, if a cafe serves bad coffee, people who like coffee don't go. Is that correct? That's correct, right? Okay. So here's the thing. If a church is filled with people who are stubborn like me, who refuse to become that good coffee, when people come in, what they find is ugly crema and watery coffee, and they're not attracted to that. And God is really stern with me about the power of my choice in those moments. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit, he says, um, it is a progressive progress, progressive process, a means growing in righteous living that is dependent on a person's reliance on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can't do it on our own. So our obligation to the process is to let him in, even when we don't want to let him in, is to have ears to hear, even when we don't want to listen to him. And we need to do what he says, not because like he's angry with us, not because we're fearful, but because we know when we do what he says, we're choosing blessing. We're choosing something that he can bless. And we can't do it without him. He says it's dependent on a person's reliance on the Holy Spirit, which means we understand our limitations, our failings, our natural grind, and it's only him that can change that in us. So I encourage everyone to join in this progressive process that I am in, it is painful, and it does feel like you are in a grinder, but what comes out on the other side, you, you cannot get any other way. That peace, that fruitfulness, that lightness that comes from having no unforgiveness, no bitterness, no anything towards anyone, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do what we cannot do ourselves. Okay, thank you. Awesome. Good evening, church. All right. That was strange. All right, Matthew 22, the greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. This guy's testing Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. <clears throat> so we have two relationships. One with God and the other with each other. Both of them stemming from love. And we know what love is. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to focus on family. So honor is a very strong aspect in our culture, especially towards those that are older than you. 
kids. <laughs> when my grandparents enter the room, everyone is up on their feet until you give them a hug, kiss them five times on the cheek. Um, and when they leave, it's the same, but we don't just walk them to the door. We help them in the car. We wave to them as they drive out of the driveway and we call them in three minutes to make sure they got home okay. <laughs> it is about showing them that they are valued. Yeah. Value and honor go together. They're very similar. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. For me, this means to consider my parents in, in my decisions. When there's a family function, like a wedding or a birthday or a funeral or whatever it may be, the chances are that that relative is so distant that I've met them twice <laughs> and they probably wouldn't know my name, but I'm not going there for them. I'm going for my parents. If, if it's my dad's someone on his side or my mom, I'm going there for my grandparents. They, they should have their kids with them. Last week, my mum's auntie had her 80th birthday, and I actually had a birthday on the same night, but it wasn't her 80th, it was a friend. <laughs> now, there was no question in my mind, like, oh, which one do I go to, or like, it was, okay, I, I'm gonna, like, I'm going 100%, that's my grandfather's sister, like, I'm going to that, that's, that's a family thing that, that we should all go to as a family. Now, in our culture, we have this word called Wejbet. Everybody say Wejbet. Wow, you guys. Now, all grow beard. Um, this, I don't actually know what this means fully, if I was going to translate it, but what I understand it to be is to fulfill your duty or your obligation out of respect towards a relationship you have in your life. Now, so what I did that night was went to the 80th birthday, and then at like 9.30 or 10, I went and saw my mate for an hour or something. So I just made it work. I, I didn't like sacrifice, you know, family and, and the honor that I want to show my parents and my grandparents. I just, I just did both. Now, dad has this really cool idea. <laughs> I love it. That when we're all together, which isn't that uh, often lately, but at the dinner table, phones out of sight, TV switched off, uh, like turn off the circuit breakers, no, nothing. <laughs> All you can do is talk. You can't escape it. Talk with your family. And it doesn't matter how I feel about this idea because if dad values his time with us that much that he's willing to ignore his own work calls and, and he just wants to, you know, invest in us, then I want to honor him and place value on that time with him as well. Taking genuine interest in someone is the key to a healthy relationship. If someone I love is passionate about something, then I want to be as well. For example, my sister, I don't think she's here, not very supportive, but <laughs> might just cut this paragraph out. Forget that. Mickey is, nah. <laughs> Brittany is a bit of an equestrian. And there was this horse convention. Who knew that there were horse conventions? <laughs> a few months back, and, and she was going, and I thought, you know what? I'll go with you. I'll tag along. You know, I didn't want to go on on her own. It could be fun. 
that there will be like cowboys. There might be some cowgirls, I don't know. But I was very wrong. It was torrential hurricanes. It was muddy. I ruined a pair of Nikes. Who wears Air Maxes to a horse convention? I don't know. Everyone else was wearing gum boots, but they didn't say that on the ticket. I was just a big Arab guy in the middle of a bunch of farmers. <laughs> but I got to hang out with Brit. <laughs> so I showed her how much, you know, I valued her. Mickey's easy, we just hang out and eat and normal stuff. Now, we were lucky enough to have Dan Karotz, our worship pastor from Oxford Falls, to come out to our worship team uh, on Thursday night. And he's he touched on holiness. Hebrews 12:14 tells us to pursue holiness. Not that we can perfect it, but we should also always be pursuing it. And I think that's the key to a holy life. He spoke about the idea of isolation versus separation, and that we need not be isolated from the world, but set apart. Now, in terms of relationships, that might mean there's conversations we shouldn't be part of. There's friendships we need to be careful of. And there might need to be boundaries put in place. Not there might, there should be boundaries in place. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The Bible, this, if anyone, it starts off, do not be misled. So that's for everyone who just thought they could not be misled. <laughs> they, you can't. Do not be deceived. It is easy to become a product of your environment and who you spend time with. Proverbs 25, verse 16 to 17. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you, and they will hate you. Now, I don't think God's telling us, don't visit me, guys. No, God is not telling us to not visit our friends. He's telling us to have boundaries. It might not be healthy to be, like, always, you know, st stuck together. Some, I know some people that, f like, flip out if someone, they don't get a message or she didn't call me or I had one friend, no joke, I would have to close the curtains, turn off the lights. This guy was a major stalker. He was obsessed. Like, it was a guy. So, not the right obsessed, but we need not be dependent on man, but dependent on God. Man cannot define you or accept you like he can. Now, <laughs> when it comes to being single... I can't walk about blindly. In pursuing holiness, I need to have my mind made up about a few important issues. I need to be grounded now. I can't fool myself by thinking, yeah, she's just a nice girl. We hung out till 6 a.m. in a car park. That's not connect group. That's, that's not the position you should be in. So I have to make a decision to not put myself in a position where I actually have to make a decision. You know what I mean? The world will always try and talk you out of your boundaries, but I need to just stop for a second and think, is this honoring to how our parents have raised us? Is this honoring to God? Is this lining up with his word? Am I representing him well? And these are the questions that get me through. <laughs>